today in this room, there are people with a lot of joy. And as we look around the room and people are celebrating and when they sing the words, God is so good, they, they're in the moment of joy in their life. And God, there are others that have wiped tears away this morning and perhaps they're overwhelmed by your goodness or perhaps they're overwhelmed with the idea that even in the midst of suffering, that, that God, you're good and that your grace is sufficient. And so, God, today we come together just as your people, just to say we're, we're just so happy to be part of your family. And, and God, we, we honor you today through our worship. We thank you. Would you teach us today? Would you change us today? Would you work on us from the inside out? We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, guys, uh, we are headed back to El Salvador this year for the first time in four years. And after the service today, if you just meet me in Kala Coffee House right after service, if you're interested in going, we're going to go June 16th to the 23rd. So if you're interested in that for just a few moments after service, I want to give you an update on that and find out who's interested in going, kind of get a head count early on if we can. I appreciate that if we could do that today. Years ago, at the Cincinnati Christian University, I taught a class called Leadership and Management for Ministry. I started the class, every class that I taught there in a surprising place. The students usually expected the class to be about the activities of leadership, vision, motivation, team building, redirection. But I always started with what Samuel Rima one time called leading from the inside out. Who you are as a person and how you lead yourself will largely determine your success or failure as a leader. It's not the activities that determine your effectiveness. It's about what's on the inside. And that is true in leadership. It's also true in fitness. Uh, I teach a class uh, at CrossFit called Foundations, and it happens once a week on Thursday afternoon at 5.30. And I get to see all of the new CrossFitters come through and, and meet them and talk to them and teach them the basic movements of CrossFit, but I, I, I always ask the same question at the beginning. What is your goal? Why are you here? I want to know what motivates them so that I have an idea about what they're trying to go for in their, in their, in their body and what they want to do. And, and I usually get answers from, I need to get back in shape, to I used to be a college athlete. I just had a baby and I need to get rid of this baby weight, or it looks fun. <laughs> and I always laugh at that because it's really not. I had a student uh, just two weeks ago who speaks very little English. And I said, what is your goal? And she said, go. And I said, no, go. Why are you coming to CrossFit? And she said, oh. And in broken English, she said, I fat. I need skinny. (laughs) Now that I understand. That I can grasp a hold of. And I mean, however you say it, the ultimate goal should be the same. Physical fitness, physical wholeness. People often ask me, what do you eat? And I'm such a bad representative. I eat a healthy diet of these delicious Nature Valley oatmeal squares. I love them. In fact, I hesitated to show them to you today and online because it's a possibility that you might buy them out and I won't be able to get them. And that would be very, very um, harmful to me. I love these. And, and, and in fact, I've written a tagline for them. That's absolutely true. 
I, I've said about these bars that, that it's everything good about breakfast in a single bar. And it's like you take one bite and it's just ultimate deliciousness. And I love them. And I also enjoy a nice Canada dry ginger ale. And you all know that, especially when I put it in the freezer for just the right amount of time, it becomes a slushy, especially if you shake it up. Now, there are rare occasions when people at the gym will challenge each other to what's called a Whole30 challenge, and where 30 days you eat clean. And I w- I've done that before. It involves cleansing the body of toxins, putting good stuff in. And the goal is, of course, that you would become physically healthy. The goal is that you would allow those 30 days to change your habits so that now you would live a healthy lifestyle. And the truth is, I have done it, but I've only done it for 30 days. Like, if that group says, we're going to do it for 30 days, I'm like, I'm in on that. But if they're like, you're not going to have any more ginger ale or delicious breakfast bars anymore, I'm out. Does anybody know what I'm saying? Like, that is not going to be me for the long haul. Well, for the next 30 days, we're going to be learning about and practicing spiritual wholeness. And we want to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. We want our hearts to be fully uh, formed as followers of Jesus. And these are challenges with, there are challenges with this Whole30 program, like praying and reading your Bible for 30 minutes a day, every day. Like following the biblical pattern of Sabbath, enjoying both rest and um, coming to worship. Like spiritual fasting, like the discipline of spiritual fasting. But here's the thing. We're going to be asking everybody in here to make a commitment to say yes to the opportunity. But remember, the goal is not the activity. The goal is spiritual wholeness. The goal is spiritual wellness. The goal is spiritual health. The goal is spiritual transformation from the inside out. The ultimate goal is that this would not just be 30 days for you, that it would be a lifestyle, not just a series. I think the next verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 really captures what what we want to get at here. It says, may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he will do it. And notice the emphasis of the text. It's not that you're going to do it. It's not that through your activity you're going to make it happen. It's not that you're going to work so hard and somehow you're going to be successful. It is that God is dependable. It is that through his working power in our spirit that God will transform us from the inside out. And that's our goal during this whole 30 series, but then also afterwards. And I sat back and I thought this week, like, how can I capture that in a person or a character of the Bible? What, What does the Bible say about somebody that maybe transformed from all of the activities of a spiritual life, but, but had emptiness inside. And it led me to John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus. And I want to introduce you to him, and you may not know it, but he's the one that Jesus is speaking with when he gives the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. And Nicodemus comes to him, and, and the Bible says in John chapter 3 that he was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. That means he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a leader of leaders. When it came to religiosity, he was at the top of the class. And and I want to acknowledge right now, right up front, that some of you are in the same boat as Nicodemus. You're going to resonate with his story today. You grew up believing that if you followed all the rules and you did all the right things, then somehow that would be your pathway to spiritual health. And some of you, you had that church experience. 
show up to the right place, do the right thing, say the right thing, pray the right prayers, and somehow that is going to lead you to spiritual wholeness. And what you found is at the end of that journey, there was spiritual emptiness, not spiritual wholeness. What you found was that it led oftentimes to exhaustion. That ritual without relationship leads to exhaustion. The reality is that Nicodemus was not spiritually whole. He followed the rules, but he did not know God. And I want to tell you today about the first recorded time in the Bible when Nicodemus encounters Jesus. And I think it has some principles for us too. Nicodemus, or John chapter 3, verse 1, tells us about Nicodemus. And it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for nobody could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus had apparently been sitting around with his other friends in the Sanhedrin. That must have been quite a a crew. And they're all hanging out together, and, and there must be talking about what Jesus is doing. How do I know that? Because while Nicodemus went alone at night, it says Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night, but it says we, Jesus, have been talking. And it gives me the sense that there were other people in the Sanhedrin that were thinking and processing and trying to figure out who is this Jesus. He he was curious about it, so curious that he wanted to meet him. He asked himself, is there something more to this spiritual life? And maybe you're asking yourself that question. Maybe you feel like you've done all the right things. Maybe you feel like you've jumped through the right hoops. And at the end of the day, you still feel that emptiness inside. You still ask the question, there's got to be something more here. Maybe you're asking yourself that. Is there something more? I go to church. I even serve in a ministry. I'm a good person, but somehow it feels like something's missing. And that leads me to the first principle in the story of Nicodemus. And that is this spiritual transformation begins the day we meet Jesus. Nicodemus thought that the way to know God was through ritual, but he missed the relationship. He missed what was deeper. And you really get the sense, don't you, that Nicodemus is a thinker. I mean, he didn't get where he was in life by being lazy. He studied. He worked. He he went through, asked the right questions. But no matter how long Nicodemus and his buddies tried to think about this or rationalize this or try to get their minds around this, they could not get to the place where they experience spiritual wholeness. And that leads me to this little principle. You cannot rationalize your way to wholeness. You can't. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you think that the spiritual life is primarily a mental exercise. It is not. Maybe you just have bought into the mistaken idea that if I just know enough, that somehow it would transform me. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work in fitness. If you read a book by Arnold Schwarzenegger and it only hits your mind, that does not make you physically fit. And just because you know something, just because you think about something a lot, does not lead you to transformation. Transformation starts when you meet the man. Transformation starts when you're introduced to Jesus. Wholeness begins when we meet the Son of the living God. And I love the next part of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can somebody be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. 
Surely they cannot enter a second time in their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Nicodemus, I think, loved to be in control of the things that he could do. He, he probably thought that if I could just do all the right things and be good enough, somehow that was going to work. I have a lot of knowledge, I have a lot of learning, and I've certainly done a lot in my life. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter by saying, Nicodemus, you cannot see God's kingdom until you experience a rebirth, a fresh start. In other words, all that learning, all that knowledge, all those trappings of success, you need to step back and start over. You need to be born again. And there must have been hard for Nicodemus to stomach. Not only could he not understand it mentally, he couldn't process how a man could go back into his mother's womb. He totally make it a, made it a physical experience. He just said, that's not possible. But what Jesus was saying, you got to surrender. And that leads me to the second point. And that is the spiritual transformation happens from the inside out. Think about that. What control does a baby have in the mother's womb? None. It is totally dependent on its mother for everything. It just gets to hang in there and swim and eat. Spiritual transformation does not happen because of all the things that Nicodemus knew, and it didn't happen because of all the things that Nicodemus did. It happens when Nicodemus is connected to the source. Like a baby in the womb who receives everything for its life from its mother, so we are made whole when we submit through the water, which is a demonstration of what God is doing on the inside, and through the Spirit, which is what God is doing on the inside. He said, you've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. And many of those who were religious had a list that they tried to do and fill out and make happen. And that was the Pharisees. Let us do all these things. And Jesus is saying, it's not about what you do on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. It's an inside job. Rick Warren one time summarized Romans chapter 2 by saying about the Pharisees, they had the right name but the wrong understanding. They had the right, tool, right books but the wrong application. They had the right connections but the wrong attitude. They had the right values for the wrong reason. They had the right words, but the wrong actions. And, and so I would give you another little principle, and that is that you can't earn your way to wholeness. You can't rationalize your way to wholeness. You can't think enough that's going to get you there. You can't work your way or earn your way to wholeness. It's not going to happen. You'll never be good enough to deserve God's forgiveness or his grace in your life. And Nicodemus had everything in this life that we would associate with success. And yet the text seems to suggest that something for him was missing. That's why he sought Jesus out at night. That's why he had to meet the man. That's how, why he had to ask the questions. And friends, you can try all you want, but you will never earn your way to goodness. You will never earn your way to wholeness. You will never earn your way to spiritual transformation. And that's what leads us to the greatest verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. 
most famous verse in the Bible. And I think it is because at the heart of this verse is not what you do. It is what God has done for you. It is the fact that the God of the universe loves you right where you are today. Just who you are. Just your personality, your strengths, your weaknesses, your positives, your negatives. God loves you right where you are. And that leads me to this third, third idea. And that is, that is this spiritual transformation is motivated by love. Anybody in here ever been consumed by something? You have a project at work and it's just in your mind and in your mind and you're thinking about it and you're planning for it and you go to bed at night and you're still thinking about it and you wake up in the morning and it's still on your mind. Anybody ever be consumed by something? Some of you today are very, very intelligent people like inventor type people or computer programming people or engineers and you have all these grids and charts and numbers and equations going through your head all the time and sometimes you can't get those numbers out of your head. That is not me, but that's you, and I'm glad that God made you the way that he made you. And you're here, and you think about it. Maybe you're in a home remodeling project, and and you get consumed by that. You cannot drive by a Home Depot without pulling in. You just think about it all the time. It consumes your mind. Some people are consumed with the NFL playoffs. Not us. Not now. But some people do. Some people get consumed with their health. That's all they think about is their body and their health. We get consumed by all kinds of things. Sometimes you get consumed by love. Ever been there? You just can't get that guy, you just can't get that girl out of your mind. It usually starts in elementary school. You see that cute classmate. You don't know how to show your love, so you do things to get noticed. You're a little boy and you chase that girl around recess and you throw rocks at her. It's the first sign of love. You see that boy in the hallway and you giggle with your friends about how his hair sticks up. You get asked that infamous question, scribbled on a note, do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe. I never knew what to do with maybe. I'd rather just be clear with me. Just tell me one way or the other. And then you get a little bit older and you go out for the first date and you go to the movies and you're unchaperoned. It's amazing. You want to hold hands, but you don't know how to do it. Do I just grab it? That seems too forward. Do I ask? That seems weird. So you go for the hand bump. The ever popular, oops, our hands just touched. And then somehow she reaches over and you grab and your fingers interlock. My, my, my. Ever been there? Then love becomes more sophisticated and you meet your person, your forever person, and you get consumed by thoughts for them. You write letters. Um, Those of you who are under 30, that's when you take a piece of paper out and you write. (laughs) You write on it. You fold it up like a football and hand it to them in the middle of class. That's how we used to do it. Snapchat prior to Snapchat. You make phone calls. You invite all your friends and family, and eventually you say, I will love you, honor, and keep you till death does part. And I want to tell you guys something. That's the way Jesus feels about you. He's consumed by you. You, you don't believe me? Read the Bible. From the very beginning, God created heavens and the earth, and the capstone of his creation was people. And when we kept screwing up, he was like, I love you so much that I'm going to go to the greatest depths ever. I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. The Bible says, greater love hath no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. That is love. That is true love. Jesus is consumed by you. 
He came from heaven to earth because we have a sin problem. We had a separation problem with God. And he came into our world and he said, I'm going to do something about it. And I don't want to bridge the gap between God and man. He's consumed with thoughts of love for people. Still don't believe me? Listen to these paraphrases of Romans chapter 8. One from the message. I didn't put it on the screen. Listen to what it says. God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us. Embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son. Do you think anybody is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They try to kill us in cold blood because they hate us. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. But none of that phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Or the Living Bible paraphrases it this way, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't, the demons can't. Your fears for today cannot, your worries about tomorrow cannot separate you from God's love. Even the power of hell can't keep God's love away from you. Whether you're high above in the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I tell you this because of this. The great Love, that great love is our motivation for wanting to be whole. Great love is our motivation. And I'll give you this little principle. I've learned that you cannot guilt your way into wholeness. You can't. Some, so many times people are guilted into right behavior. Your spouse says, you used to be thin. Your mother says, I can't believe you didn't send me a card. Your friend says, oh, I guess I'm not important enough to call. Guilt might change you for the moment, but it won't last. Guilt never moves me to make the kind of lasting changes that need to happen in my life, but love does. Love compels me to change. The relationship compels me to change. For God so loved that we then love in return. That's why we want to be whole. And verse 19 says, then this is the verdict Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Those who love the darkness live in the darkness, he says, but those who live by the light come into the light. And that is when I realized that last spiritual principle here, and that is that spiritual transformation is a lifestyle, not an event. Those who live by the light. And in this series, guys, we're going to be learning about wholeness and practicing the value and the habits of wholeness. But ultimately, our goal is that you would be whole. And that this would be a lifestyle of wholeness, not a moment of wholeness, not 30 days of wholeness. And that's when I want to teach you this little idea that you can commit to a life of wholeness. You can. We don't want this to be a 30-day and back to ginger ale and oatmeal 
squares, spiritually speaking. We don't want this to be 30 days of good spiritual practices that never become a habit. We want this to be about who you are from the inside out, who God made you to be. It's not about a 30-day event. It's about a lifestyle. Now, it's interesting. The Bible doesn't actually tell us what happened to Nicodemus. Uh, We don't know if he became a believer or not, but I tend to think that he did. Here's why. In John chapter 7, when other Pharisees are criticizing and condemning Jesus, Nicodemus stood up for him. He defended him. And then in John chapter 19, we read that when Jesus died on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, who gave the borrowed tomb for Jesus to be buried in, and Nicodemus took Jesus' body down from the cross. It was Nicodemus who, who brought him down with Joseph of Arimathea and wrapped his body tenderly. It was Nicodemus who provided 70 pound, 75 pounds of herbs and myrrh and aloes so that Jesus' body would be prepared for burial. Think about this. Jesus' disciples, they deserted him. They left. They were gone. They were afraid. Nicodemus, despite perhaps the ridicule of his other Sanhedrin friends, pulled Jesus down from the cross, tenderly laid him in the tomb. We don't know if Nicodemus actually became a believer in Jesus or not, but I have a strong indication that he probably did. Because when you meet Jesus, all those rituals, all that stuff you thought got you there, somehow just pales into comparison to the, to the greatness of God's love. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says about us and about me, I have been, I, Stephen, you, insert your name, have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. God is saying today that I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to be somebody that says, God, I want to be made whole before you. I'm tired of the emptiness. I'm tired of the ritual about this. I just want to know you. I want to be like you. One Christian speaker told about her niece who had come home from her preschool that was held at their church. And when the little girl came home, some of the relatives began to go through the typical questions that we ask of child. How was your day? How was school? What did you learn? And she said, surprisingly, well, Jesus wasn't there today. And they were like, he, he wasn't. And she went, she went on to say, nope, Jesus wasn't there today. He didn't come by because he's out of town. And everybody kind of chuckled, but it kind of piqued their curiosity, like, Jesus is out of town? Well, they did some investigating and found out that each day the pastor of the church always made it a point to just poke his head into the Christian preschool and say hey to the kids. And everybody, even though he was busy and swamped with responsibilities, the kids always looked forward to his kind words, his big smile. And somehow through the course of time, this little toddler had assumed that this man was Jesus, even though obviously he wasn't. And I think our goal here always as a church is that when people run into us, they go, there's something different about them. There's a joy that I don't quite understand. There's a hope in the midst of hardship. There's a peace in the midst of suffering. And and there's something noticeable about that. In, In Acts, we read this about the disciples who were not educated. They were just simple guys. 
And one time, those who noticed them, the Bible says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, there was something about them that was different. And that's our goal for you. That's our goal for your family. Not that you would just go through the ritual. Not that you would just say, oh, I've been to church. We'll take care of that for the week. Not that you would just do the five things that you feel like you need to do to be spiritual. No, it's that you would actually be more like Christ. That your goal in life would be that through my relationships and through who I am, from the inner man, the inner woman, that I would be more like Christ. And that I want to develop the habits to be more like him because I love him. Not because he makes me do it, but because I want to know him more. And that's what this series is going to be about. And here in a few moments, Josh is going to tell you about more how you can get, how you can opt in for it, how you can sign up for it, how you can say yes. God, we just thank you today for loving us. Thank you for your scripture, God. Thank you for reminding us that we cannot rationalize our way to wholeness. We cannot earn our way to wholeness. We cannot be guilted into wholeness, but we can commit to a lifestyle of wholeness. So God, toward that end, I pray that our church would be willing out of love and out of response to Christ to say, we want to be more like, like Jesus. We thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus.